You're listening to a Roddenberry podcast. The Trek Files, Season 8, Episode 24. Star Trek The Motion Picture, Possible Film Revisions, December 26th, 1979. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Star Trek fans, welcome back to, my goodness, The Trek Files, and it's our eighth season finale. Thank you so much for being a, well, a trek files spelled with an F, especially all you Star Trek history fans. Hey, I know you canonistas, I say that lovingly, you're out there, you tech heads, everybody in the mix, but today we've got, well, it's a history chapter that is very much about what's going on in Star Trek today. Have I got you intrigued? You should be. <laughs> You're a Trekophile. You know what to do. Look at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash thetrekfiles. Our document of the week is there. It's a doozy. It's so much fun in light of what's, what's happened the last few decades and what's going on right now. Take a look there. In the meantime, here's a sample, audio-wise at least, and hang on. I'll be right back with this week's first time and very special guest. travel pod trip around Enterprise. Agree that a trim here is clearly needed. I agree with the direction Todd is taking. I do think there is one of the travel pod on its outside dry dock approach, which interrupts the Kirk Enterprise emotions, and have suggested to Todd that he point it out to you for possible elimination. If there is any way he can handle it smoothly, I feel that his shortened version very much needs to include the last part of the wide quartering angle on the ship in which the pod stops and begins to back up toward the airlock. Well, there you go, Trekophiles. It wasn't rocket science. <laughs> in what needed to have been done to maybe improve the original release of the motion picture, but when you're in a mad dash to get visual effects done in 1979 and just get the thing out to save millions of dollars in penalty fees to theaters who'd been promised a movie on a set day, December 7th, 1979, it's amazing when the dust settles what you can see. And now all these years later, I'm amazed at what we can see reading Gene's very prescient comments here to, yes, director Robert Wise. And it's such a great document. I'm sure you all will agree. And I'm sure our guest today will agree and have his own take on it. Listen, um, I am so thrilled to have David Fine with us today. He's the executive producer on the whole remastering, remodeling director's cut that we had 20 years ago and that now is in 4K. David, it is so great to have you on the Trek Files. This is such a wonderful doc. I know we could talk all day about it, but it's amazing to see history repeat itself and and never go away in the first place and, and be very much in the news today. So first of all, congratulations on everything that's happening with the with the 4K cut this year and still to come. And and what is what is what comes to mind when you see this memo? Although I know you've seen it before. So hi Larry. How you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to jump right in and not even replug. No, hey, hi. How you doing? Please jump in. Yeah. Um, wow. I mean, what a journey. 
to to and what a journey times two. I mean, we assembled the right. we assembled the first project, you know, in two thousand, and now to be back and finally be able to really finish it is just fantastic. And I can't be ex- can't be more excited about how what the, what the responses people have uh, have had to it. It's it's very touching. And um, as you know, the reason memos like this existed was because the film was so so unbelievably rushed and so unbelievably unfinished. And right. even though 20 years ago we were able to to assemble the better version of the director's edition, it still didn't resolve all the problems that we had from the original release. Plus, it was almost a proof of concept at the time. So we did the best we could and could only do it in standard definition. So it was great now to have the full right. support of the studio. The, they did an, the archive did an amazing job hunting down all the material that they found, the ADR, the the effects elements. And then having the time to do the color grading. I mean, they had four days. There were so many corners that were cut to just make the film be releasable. And that's where something like the memo mm-hmm. comes up. Because the other thing, as you were mentioning, the, the 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 issues that they had about pre-selling the film to theaters forced it to be released. Well, mm-hmm. they were cutting the film down to the last <laughs> moment where literally a reel of the film was was dripping wet with chemical as they put it into the can for Robert Wise to fly it to the premiere in, in uh, Washington, D.C., slept with it under his bed and, you know, screened that only right. print. Hand delivered to the projector, yeah. to the projectionist, yeah. right, for the for the preview. Right, yeah. and with the, with the amazing excitement, not only about Star Trek, but Star Wars had changed the world, everybody in the world wanted to see the film and they needed it to be fantastic. So they screened the film and had no time to even fine tune it. And Jerry Goldsmith, and this this leads into things of the memo, uh, and Jerry Goldsmith's score did so much to support the film and and pick it up where the the story may uh, be a little slower, was that he filled in so many of those gaps with his amazing uh, uh, concert that he wrote for us that um, when they finally showed the film, yeah, lots of, of placeholders and items, you know, missing, but something in place to to make the film flow and work, but also the story of what was going on, the studio wanted it to be successful and they wanted to show confidence. So let me talk about the mm-hmm. memo for a second and the fact that it's December 26th, 79. Right. It's been out for just a few weeks. I mean, it, it, what hit me was how all of these are things we've all talked about at the time. And it kind of goes back to, if the, you talk about the studio, they couldn't come in and say, sorry, guys, we really, really had to rush this. Of course, if we had more time to study, we would make some changes. <laughs> that couldn't be said for several years. It was just we had to let the value of time go by. But it's it's so amazing to see that, yes, of course, they all were aware of well, of these issues. There's another issue that came up at the time, and these were located in memos back when we were doing the initial uh, uh, research on this. And that's that mm-hmm. um, Bob did go back to the studio because it was so insanely rushed and said, we still have a little bit of time before the theatrical release. Let me go in and tweak a few things, at least cut the, hard, the, the harsh edges off, just tighten it a little, do mm-hmm. minor changes. And I believe uh, I believe it was Michael Eisner who responded back with, "No, the the risks of people thinking there's something wrong with this are way too high. 
it has to remain as what was in the, the premiere and we're going out with it the way it is. So even at the mm -hmm. time, because they had a 130 minute running time requirement on the film, they cut, they didn't know what was coming in. So they even cut out a lot of the character moments, just cut it down to what they could tell the story. Mm -hmm. So there are places that Gene was bringing up that Bob even wanted back in the film that the hope was they tighten it, they'd be able to put things back in. I don't, you know, I don't have a, a note of what those pieces were because we were addressing doing it later. But the fact is, it wasn't something that anybody really felt satisfied with at the time, and they had to let it go out. Right. It's very, it's very akin to uh, experiences I've had where we had to rush a book, and we say, okay, we'll get that in the next edition. And that never happens because no one wants to reshoot. I mean, there's a cost factor, even if it's not a time mm -hmm. factor, but it's that same, it's that mentality of, oh, we'll fix it later. And you have to wait for some event like the ABC showing, what, seven years later, something? Uh, or, or, or the coming of the DVD generations and, and, you know, your project years later before some of these things can get can get addressed. Yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting, too, because um, it, in a way, it's the anti-Star Wars in a twisted kind of sense in the fact that the Star Wars special editions had their um, this new version and the, the original version was lost. Well, this is a case where we had the uh, the theatrical version uh, that came out in 79 as rough as it was. And then there was the special longer version, which was just the ABC TV cut that, that there was a right. letter writing campaign and so much to the studio saying that had so much more meat in the story. Would you release that? So Paramount adopted the special longer version mm -hmm. as the home video release, but it was also pan and scan. And it was assembled in pan and scan. Actually went back and, and located the work print of it, and it's in four by three, which is amazing. What's funny is is you, you have to go back to thinking about four by three or full frame, as they call it. It's half the movie. And you, you kind of have to scratch your head and go, what do you mean half the movie? Well, it's not like it's shorter, it's not lengthwise you're only seeing half the picture because mm -hmm. the other half where somebody's looking on or other is is lost. Like the middle half. Well, you know, <laughs> you're losing almost a fourth on both ends of the frame. Yeah, yeah. well, it was horrible when they originally did, uh, and for all films, when they did uh, widescreen films to, to video because on those early transfers, was somebody says, okay, just put the camera in the center. So you'd have a nose talking to a nose, you know, across the frame that just wouldn't work. <laughs> but that was interesting because... Um, losing half that picture uh, uh, changed a lot and it's in, in people's perspective. And it's funny because even now we're getting a lot of uh, comments about people saying, well, what's that blur down the center of the frame? It's wrong. I never saw that before. Or why is it that the right-hand side of the frame is in focus and the left-hand side? That doesn't make sense, but there's this weird blur down the center. Well, that's a split diopter. That's intentional to be able to take two different parts of the frame and put it in focus. But when you're watching it in full frame, often it's on the person talking and you don't even see the blur or anything else. So when people are saying that wasn't there, no, it was there, just never saw it. But that just goes down mm -hmm. to the, goes back to that TV cut. And it is and it is leading into the memo. So that's part of the conversation. There's so much, you know, all this, this is three and a half pages. So much of this is well, duh. <laughs> it's things we've, it's amazing. It's all the, all, so many points we've talked about over the years. Some of the, it was your, your goal list when you all got into, uh, like, like we talked about trimming the, well, not so much trimming the travel pod, but tightening it up and making the emotions. Because a lot of people, you talked about replacing, finding lost ADR in the rush to get it out. It wasn't just about visual effects. I remember sitting in the theater thinking how dull and empty the bridge 
sound and that cold, hard, blue-gray tone. And so much was about color timing or emptiness that even the TV series had such a rich yeah. audio you know, tapestry underneath it. And so much of the rush didn't happen. It wasn't just about the visual effects or not, but it's the image that we, you know, that that first month in the theater of everyone watching it, that's the image that so many of us took away for so many years. And some obvious things, like from the ABC edit, oh, the dialogue after Spock leaves the bridge and Kirk leaves the bridge and Lieutenant, we, we may have just, you know, doubled our chances of surviving or, or whatever. The little bits and pieces, those jump out of us, but there's so much more than that. And like your 4K now has, has an actual color palette with browns and tones and, you know, all that audio fill. But but you know it's but that that poor rushed version is what so many of us have carried in our heads for so many years until we until we get confronted with what it should have been what you've been working I on. actually just a little personal insight I actually didn't pick up on how truly complete we were getting it until after and people responded I just knew we had a goal and I knew what it needed to be and I focused on getting it there and I've always referred to as the yeah referred to the theatrical of the special longer version as the rough cuts or the preview screening, you know, Bob has a preview screening for every single one of his films. And he complained, you know, rightfully that he didn't, that Star Trek, the motion picture was the film that he didn't have a rough uh, a preview screening of. And when we started this, I went back to him and I said, guess what? You've had your preview screening. It just took 20 years to, of people commenting. So we we're able to go back and review that. But just the, the, the fact now is they look the part is the theatrical mm -hmm. and the special longer version look like untimed or, or roughly timed work prints comparatively to where we are today. And it's great that we were able to go that far because you know there was a lot of um, you know um, uh, thought that, well, it has to look this way because it has for so many years. And the answer is no, they had four days to do it. Four days to complete it. And it was, the, the problem was the visual effects. It was even those mm -hmm. editing points and the, the required running time, which most people don't put into account in it too. They didn't know how long pieces would be. They didn't. They needed to fill it out to make sure that it would hit the running time. So the character pieces that were intended to go back in were things that didn't make it because of just getting it to that running time. You in that last minute. Imagine you're literally having to put it out dripping you don't have time to go back and say, okay, now let's cut this in there and have the full sound mix for it as well. So there's a certain point where it had to be abandoned. And I'll tell you mm -hmm. the brilliance of Todd Ramsey and Bob who were assembling the film and everybody who was involved at that time to create. Now, Todd, let's remind everybody, Todd Ramsey, Todd Ramsey, Ramsey editor, was. The editor of the film. Mm -hmm. The brilliance of these guys working together to, to tell a coherent film under those yes. circumstances. Almost like triage here in a way. It's, it, it really is a testament to the talent that's there. And it's kind of funny, brilliant talent to assemble what we had that looked like a mess and you don't realize how incredible that mess is. If it had just had its uh, its final cut after the, uh, that's what's amazing about watching. I, I told you, watching the 4K cut, the V'ger dish, the temple, the whole scene at the end suddenly felt just because, and I knew because of lighting and the palette brightening and the narrative, whatever was happening, 
felt like a, a, a cohesive scene. It didn't just feel like the last part of the movie where things get resolved and they're there and we all know what happens at least. I was really sucked into the drama and the flow of the moment the way it should have been all along, the way Bob intended, the way the crew intended, and that you guys were able to get back to it. That was the most striking thing out of all. I suddenly realized I was seeing tones and colors besides just muddy blue grays everywhere. But there's also so much more to that because the time right, that's right, right, right. No, I yes. mean, no, 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 the focus this time and this is based upon conversations I had with Bob a long time ago about never letting any restriction time or otherwise hold you back from telling the best story is there's a tremendous amount of work and subtlety in the sound to really bring you in and have it be an equal partner in the storytelling process to just be able to have that, have the sound captivate you and, you know, look carefully at that scene. There's, there's some subtlety added, as I've said before, just about every shot in the film has had some has been touched in some way. And there's some uh, powerful subtlety that had never been put in there before that really helps bring it alive. So, yes. Thank you. Is there anything in, in Gene's, I don't want to say, is he being uh, naive here thinking, what is it, the seventh, 19 days later, the day after Christmas, mm -hmm. <laughs> he got through Christmas, he's through celebrating, he's woke up after his toddies. Did he not get the gift he wanted? Eggnog. Dear Santa. He's, uh, <laughs> yeah. Is he naive to think that these are going to happen? And because a lot of this didn't have, even begin to happen for years later for the TV cut. But is there anything in here that even strikes you as, uh, I mean, most of this seems well, yes, and most of it strikes me as, as eventually happening. And some things never did. He's talking about maybe clarifying the logic around that the, the Klingon torpedoes are just absorbed. I mean, I think it reads fine in the graphic, but then I was a Trek fan. But is there anything in here that you think is, is like surprising that of all the, of all the things that uh, we think about that maybe, maybe he was overworried that you didn't have a concern about? Uh, what I'll tell you is in general, um, Though this is where it's wonderful that Bob was there and the storyteller and the, the brilliant filmmaker that he is, he was able to tell what is being told visually. And I think the greatest challenge of, a, of, a, of, of doing a scene is drop the dialogue and doing a movie, uh, drop the dialogue and go back to, to silent and have to tell it visually. And I think so much mm -hmm. of the film has been told visually. There's a couple of concerns in the beginning about do we, how do we know we're going to different locations? Well, they look very different. It's It doesn't need to be spelled out as uh, Gene was recommending. And Bob had that cinematic epic scope of how to present information that I believe was more relevant than having to just nail it. I think Gene was also used to television and people who don't understand sci-fi and wanted to make sure that you spell everything out to not confuse anybody. But you're right. By, right. by the time the film was released, there's a lot of little things that he was suggesting that just weren't necessary to begin with and may not even play well. There's a general sense here, though, is and one thing that you all have done and that Bob would have done if, had there been more time, again, with the effects, since it's, it's all about the effects, is the logic of the layout of V'ger and that sense of going from you know, place to place in a progress rather than, oh, here's one more thing on our mm -hmm. view screen. And going outside for an exterior shot is just a muddle. But ha coming, so I've seen some people say, showing the the full V'ger model, which was always planned and never gotten to, but you all did it. You did it in, in 2000, and now it's even better here. But we do say, oh, and even just for those seconds, you go, oh, that moment when the big 
modules look like this, that's where they were back there. But just in an instant, a nanosecond, your brain kind of remembers the exteriors now and sees it on that big model and, and gets it. And the cloud's gone away at the end. You know, so the big reveal is here's the hardware. And it even just in a, a, a quick flash there, a few seconds, you get the layout of V'ger, and it's not so, you know, mis mysterious is great, but impeding your logic of understanding the story, and and that's there now. But that was the problem with the original storytelling aspect of the film, is that that mm -hmm. had to be the number one, in my opinion, biggest problem with the film, was that you saw glimpses of something, and it didn't really make sense something's coming to earth it's massive mm -hmm. it's firing things at them you see something go over there what is it's one of those places that left you confused and it was probably the biggest thing. and even to have a wrap-up at the end originally and now you have that right and that was my modus operandi this time around is that i told everybody involved we're doing something different now and different as in what we needed to do but not away from the plan and that's that we want to go back in and take every one of those momentary, what was that? Or that didn't look right. Or a uh, distraction from the movie and get rid of them. There's so many places in the film where the, the camera would seriously shake. And that took you out of it. Or places where the grain was so big that it distracted you to the grain as opposed to what you were watching. Um, another mm -hmm. thing that people haven't noticed that was a big deal for me was that the Kirk and, and, and uh, Scotty in the travel pod, um, maybe you didn't notice this, but on the screen of the front of the travel pod, that was a projector projecting them onto the screen. So they had kind of a bulbous right. look to them. We moved them back. They're actually mm -hmm. one less thing that screams unreal. Just like you're saying, we no one understood what Beecher looked like. All these little things smoothed it out to let you go into the story and not be so distracted from it. And that was all part of the the, the, the point. But the Vija reveal was such a big deal because that was the number one confusing point. Anything that was confusing or not told visually mm -hmm. has been addressed or amplified every way that we possibly could be. Um, what's funny is, is when we saw the memo back when we were doing the project originally, what we did take away from it is, okay, this did at least make it to the people assembling the special longer version. Right, because so many of it is addressed there. Right. It almost like this was the, this was the guideline for the special longer version. And even when they did that, they took the lifts that Todd Ramsey had prepared as potential returns to the to the film, and they still had on set voice, on set noise and and so forth. So with mm -hmm. with the ADR in place, we also found that there were a lot of those scenes were looped, and that's why those additional scenes work better now because they're Bob's Bob directed everybody in the looping sessions. He had, we have his choice takes for those scenes that never had their performance correct either. So clear audio makes it. Well, I guess as we wrap up here, we, I'd love to go through these blow by blow, but I'll just say, let's look, jump to the bottom, the general, which is what we've all said for years. And Gene was saying it here so early on. Any editorial revising we do should emphasize, as with the ABC edit, pace and character and de-emphasize the opticals. Not that the opticals aren't great, but that <laughs> they got thrown in without review, basically. Uh -huh. um, and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's just refreshing to see this is Gene's take 
you know, right away, that he realized the process and he realized what would have made it a better edit. And and I think you said you had somewhere along the way you'd seen Bob's reply. I had the same memo um, in our archives. And what we have is little comments about Bob saying yes, no, you know, maybe, you know, to different things. And it was nice that he made comments to everything, but he stayed focused on the, the, the film telling its story. You had to remember that classic Star Trek was always about the characters because he had no money for visual effects. It was mm -hmm. so much reused. Jump to motion picture. Motion picture, mainly because of the rush and because of Star Wars, had to be about the visuals. And I think the initial release lost the characters as much as they needed to be. And I always felt that the, that edit with Kirk, he's angry. He's too angry. You know, that's not our captain. And his crew is somebody who respects him and understands. It's the same thing as I get complaints about viewer off being cut. Well, Uhura's <laughs> been through a lot worse. She hears him. She knows to follow the order. You know, uh, that's a big deal um, And uh, about the whole film. So I'm very thrilled that we have our captain back. But that brought it back to now. I think it's more character-centric than it is visual effects centric also because people are so used to visual effects now i think the film actually works much better now not just in its edit but in the time period we live in mm -hmm. than ever before one of the things i wanted to quickly um let you know is that i found another um actually it was michael akuda who found another memo uh dated july 22nd 1980 from gene roddenberry about a change he wanted to the film and we did it and it's kind of minor but i'll read this to you it's not much, but it's since we're talking about changes. So it's July 22nd, 1980 to Mr. Brick Price, President Brick Price Movie Miniatures. Dear Brick, this letter is to commend you for the fine job you did with building the props for Star Trek The Motion Picture. You designed and built many models and props, such as the tricorders, phasers, wrist communicators, and belt buckles, and your contribution in this area was of great value to us. I regret that your company was not credited in the film credits as these were these were prepared hastily, as you know. I regret the oversight and will make every effort to include your firm's name should the credits be redone in any future re-editing, which he also kind of knew it would happen at that point. Again, my personal thanks for your valuable contributions to our film. Sincerely, Jude Roddenberry. Mm -hmm. And it, I get a little chills to think that we didn't have it 20 years ago, we would have put them in. But it, it actually is a real memo, and it was great to to get it and be able to resolve that form too. Even though I don't, I don't think Brooke Price is around to see it. But it's important that that and the few typos we fixed are are great. Like Sid Mead wanted his name spelled correctly. So. Well, it was it was great to see all of that and Brick Price's name in the credits in in the uh, theater events. But we've got uh, again back in the news. What's coming up for if you haven't seen so far? What September? September sixth. Yeah, we have something very special, and that's that. While it's going to be released on uh, Blu-ray and 4K, and there is a special complete adventure box, and that is a tribute to everything we're talking about right now. I know that seeing the film growing up has an important place in your heart. It's what you're familiar with. It's what you grew up with. It's what you love. Or it's what you're familiar. So for the first time ever, the complete adventure box is going to feature the special longer version in addition to the theatrical, as well as the completed director's edition in 4K. And it's all in 4K. So anybody who says, oh my God, I don't have a 4K TV and player, go buy a 4K player 
hook it up to your to your high to your high def screen and you'll still be able to watch it until you get your player the motion picture coming out on on vhs was a lot of people's kick in the pants to go buy a, a, a vcr in the first place so and people told me that, that it was the dvd of director's edition that made them go buy uh, the, mm-hmm. uh dvd players which was which was great so it was such a a, a blessing that, the, that we keep pushing that technology forward and at least you'll be able to have it for the future so um what I missed my point. Let me finish my point because I forgot from before. Um, we, you had the the theatrical for a short time on VHS. Then you had the special longer version. Then when they released it widescreen, they went back to the theatrical version of mm-hmm. the film in widescreen. So you lost that special longer version for many years. Then we did the director's edition where we included the scenes in widescreen as extras. And that became the DVD master. Then they went to high def and went back to widescreen theatrical, further making the special longer version that anybody had seen or was familiar with, or more importantly, means so much to people because that's the version they grew up with, which it's like it's like having a home cooked meal. You know, it means something yeah. emotionally. And I respect that. Plus, historically, that's why for the first time it's widescreen in 4K. In, in equal quality is beautiful. And we even completed one visual effects shot for it because if you don't know there was an incomplete shot, it is completed because it's necessary in widescreen and the original shots on the disc too. Well, as we're all sitting back and getting our orders in and waiting breathlessly to have it in our own hot hands and all the versions and being able to toggle back and forth uh, coming September 6th, it's awesome to find pieces of paper still like this and uh, see that, uh, you know, that we're finally making everybody's <laughs> dreams and wish lists and to-do lists come true. And David, you've been at the, for motion picture, you've been at the, the helm of this for so many years. And I know uh, even having part two of the part one from 22 years ago has been really satisfying. So um, thanks for joining us, though, on the Trek Files. This has been an awesome season finale, a worthy episode. And um, you, we'll be guys. looking forward to everything coming out as we lead up to the release. It's awesome. I'm, I'm thrilled. I hope Bob and Gene are sitting down somewhere and getting a chance to watch it now. I know they are. I know they are. The Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. All of our documents and your chance to comment, and please do, boy, especially on this one, are available at facebook.com slash the Trek Files. Now, for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek in Portal 47. Yes, that's me at LarryNimichek.com. Hey, that's where you can also link in for all the new Trek Files swag and shirts at our Public shop, too. Trek well, everyone, and we'll see you for Season 9. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.